if I could start over, I would have definitely started out with thinking about monetization from the jump because I ended up creating lots of content, which is great, but no real pathway for financial success for me as a content creator. Hey everyone, this is Christine Job, the host and creator of Flourish in the Foreign, an award-winning podcast that elevates, celebrates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. And this is a special mini-season all about how to build a business abroad. This mini season is designed to answer all of your burning questions and to give you actionable steps for you to get closer to leveraging your own talents and skills into building an asset of your own so that you can support yourself financially while pursuing a thriving life abroad It is time for you to benefit from all of your brilliance, your expertise, your experience, your skills, your talents, your natural je ne sais quoi. It's time for you to pour all of that back into yourself and build an asset for you to thrive on. Today's episode is going to center all around the process of creating a podcast and building out a podcast business. Yes, this is part two of how she built this. The first part is where I just talked about how I created Flourish in the Foreign. In the second part, I have the fabulous Danielle Desir Corbett of WOC Podcasters, the Thought Card Podcast, and so many other projects and amazing things that she does, really talking about the nuts and bolts of starting a podcast. Now, you may wonder, what does this have to do with building a business abroad? Well, a podcast is an excellent way to market your business. It can become a business if you'd like it to be. And I think with the popularity of podcasts, there's a lot of people entering into the space, which I think is wonderful. But like anything, it's better to have some expert knowledge to help you get off on the right foot. Of course, you can figure out yourself. You can YouTube it. I mean, that's what I did. I did everything by myself and had to learn a lot of things the hard way. (laughs) So this is meant to help you if you are considering becoming a podcaster, a content creator. I think a lot of these kind of talking points that we discussed are applicable to content creators as well. If you think that's going to be part of your business abroad, then listen to this episode. Take some notes, okay? (laughs) All right. I am Christine Job, and I am the host and creator of Flourish the Foreign. And welcome to How She Built This. Yes, it is a podcasting workshop, and I have the incredible Danielle Desir Corbett here. She is the, she's a blogger. She's the podcaster of the Thought Card podcast. She's also co-produces and co-host Millennial Wealth Series. Did I get that right? Millennial Wealth Series. And also WOC Podcasters. If you've been listening to my podcast for any amount of time, I shout her out almost every single episode and say, 
if you want to join, if you want to build your own podcast, join with my affiliate link because it really is the real deal. I'm a paid member of the podcasting membership. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about our origin stories. We're going to be talking about how to build a podcast that you want to monetize. We're going to be talking about all those things. Without further ado, Danielle, I would like to invite you to join, take yourself off mute, and tell us your origin story of being a podcaster, because you started as a blogger, so please tell us all about that. Sure. So thank you, Christine, for having me on today. Super thrilled to collaborate and to answer as many questions as we can. Podcasting is booming. I've been podcasting for three years and I've learned so much along the way. I truly feel like podcasting has been the creative outlet that has helped me grow my business and grow my brand the most. Um, I was blogging for three years before that. And then I jumped into podcasting and I have been podcasting and blogging together. And I do feel like podcasting has put me on the map. I built my thought leadership as a podcaster. I now have a full-blown income stream from being a podcaster. And I recently quit my job in September because things are going so well and there's no need to keep a corporate job anymore. So I'm really excited. I began my podcasting journey because I wanted a way to connect with my audience more intimately and also faster. So I am one of those people that's a reluctant writer. So I never thought of myself as a creative. So I was blogging, but I wasn't really quick and fast at it. So I was like, why don't I try my hand at podcasting? So I had an idea for a show. I asked a friend if he would want to join me in and he said, yeah, let's do it. The show never got started. It was an idea for a really long time. And it wasn't until Spotify had a sound bootcamp opportunity where they were looking specifically for women of color who had an idea. And I was like, oh, that's me. Let me apply. And that's how I started the community, Women of Color Podcasters. And it was like months later that I started my own podcast. So it's a windy journey. But overall, I'm just so thrilled that I took the leap and I've been doing it ever since. And it's definitely a big game changer for my business. I did not even know that about you. And we've been going on, like we have monthly kind of chats in the membership and I didn't even know that about you. So that is really incredible. Tell us about your podcast, how you launched and where is it now? Because you just hit an incredible milestone. I'll let you tell everyone. Sure. So my podcast is called the Thought Card Podcast. It's an affordable travel and personal finance show where I'm really empowering financially savvy travelers to travel more, pay off debt and build wealth. So building really like my love for travel, my love for personal finance together. So if you have a show that sounds like two separate apples and oranges, you can still combine them together and make something really beautiful. Let's see. So I just hit 80,000 podcast downloads and we just hit our three year mark as well. So it's been a slow, but growth, like a gradual, nice upward trajectory. So I'm really happy about that. 
And I just uh, told my audience, I was like, do you think we can make 20,000 and get to hundred just to get them involved and activated? I don't know if I'll get there, but it's not even about the numbers. It's about, again, the journey and being able to build a community of people who like similar things that I do and just want to see us succeed. Did I answer all the questions? <laughs> Did I miss something? Tell us a little bit about how you launched the podcast. Got started. Was, yes. Yeah. How yes. did you get started? Uh-huh. Yes. At the time in 2018, I had a full-time job. So I gave myself two months to launch the podcast. During that two months, I said, okay, I'll come up with the idea. I would script out my episodes. I would record, learn how to edit, which is a time-consuming process. And I think the hardest part about podcasting, and then I launched with, I believe, three episodes, September or something, 2018. And that was my launch. I knew my positioning. I wanted to be seen as a thought leader in the travel and personal finance space. So I wanted my first two episodes at least to be of me teaching something that is like unique to me and unique to my journey. So my first episode was like an about me episode and why I got started. And then the second episode was why you need a travel fund. And I broke down like all the important things that are like the foundation for being a financially savvy traveler. So it's really important for you to think about, okay, am I building a podcast where I'm a thought leader and I'm pretty much, I want to be seen as an expert in my industry or am I building a podcast that's community oriented and that is besides me? I am just one of many. So that was really important. And at this point, three years later, I definitely feel like the podcast has helped me build my thought leadership, my authority in the industry, and people follow the podcast, I feel like, because of me, not necessarily because I'm building a community of us around me, if that makes sense. So that's really important to know what the direction of your show is. And if the thought card ever closes down, it's going to close down because of me. Like I can't, I don't think I could pass it on to someone else because it's just a per, it's a personal branded podcast. I, I love so much about your podcast and how you conduct your podcast business. It's actually something like an aside for the audience. I launched my podcast, which I guess I should talk a little bit about. I launched my podcast in May, 2020. I forget how I like found Danielle, but this is how I do. I stalk people in a non-creepy way. I like to see like, how do you move? Do I like how you move? And at every place I would see Danielle, I would be like, that's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. So the point when she was like, oh, I'm launching membership. I was like, yeah, let's join. Let me figure out how you do this. Because everywhere she was really dominating being really smart and strategic, which I love because there's 5 million podcasts. I'll briefly tell you guys about my podcast. You don't know, I'm Christine. I am the host and creator of Flourish in the Foreign. Flourish in the Foreign is a podcast that showcases and really celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women across the diaspora who choose to live abroad and living and thriving abroad, while also showcasing you know, living abroad is a pathway to wellness, and that's a variety of types of wellness. I had the idea for Flourish in the Foreign like a year and a half, maybe two years before I launched the podcast, and I hemmed and hawed. I talked to people about it, and they were like, that's a good idea, and I was like, you think so? I don't know, and it wasn't until I just really started I don't know, getting a little bit anxious. There's a lot of weird stuff happening in my personal life where I was trying to put all my energy into something else. 
and I recorded my first episode with my very good friend, Diana in February 22 or 2020. And then March is when we had the very severe lockdown here in Spain. And I didn't have nothing else to do except for work on this podcast idea. I got an accountability partner who wasn't doing a podcast and just was there just to listen to me moan and groan about trying to figure out how to do a podcast. And I launched it in May, 2020. And I didn't know what I was doing at all, like at all. I just knew that I wanted to showcase these stories. I wanted this to become somewhat of a resource bank for other Black women who want to live abroad. And now, a year later, it's been doing so well. I'm really proud of it. We just won an award, Best International Podcast, nominated for another award, and it's really exceptional. The only thing I did when I launched the podcast is that I did have a huge batch. I had batched a lot of recordings. I hadn't edited all of them, <laughs> but I had batched a lot. Of them. I had recorded a lot before I launched. I had a launch party, which my accountability partner was like, you should do it. And I was like, nobody's coming to this. This is but it, it set a precedent to celebrate yourself because it is hard work. Learning how to edit and editing your own stuff is hard work. Doing your social media, marketing your podcast, all the things, it's a lot of hard work. And if you're going to monetize it, you are the entrepreneur, you're the business person, you're the CEO. So you have a lot of stuff to do. And that's how I launched Flourish the Foreign. And that's about it. So enough about me. Back to the expert, Danielle Sophia Corbett. I think a big issue that a lot of people have, and I saw in a lot of the questions, is about launching. People don't know how do you launch a podcast? What are like the fundamentals of launching a podcast? I know within your membership, WOC Podcasters, you have a track, it's called the 101 track, that basically you give them all the rundown of how you would launch a podcast, but can you briefly talk about what you need to successfully launch a podcast? Yes. So you can always find online the things like the technical things, the equipment and things like that. But I think it's really important to think about the mission and vision of your podcast, which people like gloss over. So really understanding what is the show that you're trying to produce? What's the angle, why people should listen. And one of the big exercises I usually tell my clients is, okay, at least have 10 episode ideas on paper so that you could launch confidently and you know what your show is about and what you're going to be focused on. Another thing is that, are you passionate about this topic? Can you talk about this topic endlessly? Are you curious? We'll give you a good idea that you have a longstanding show versus just a series of a couple of episodes or like a season. So it's really important to be passionate and to know what you're going to be, your mission is and what you're going to be talking about. Another thing that I do that I think that's unique is also I think about the content pillars or content buckets that my episodes are going to fall into. So part of the description and part of understanding your show, if you could divide all your episodes, if they could be in three to four buckets, what buckets would those be? Now, this is important because it'll keep you grounded, but also if someone comes to you and asks you to do something or be on your, on your show and it doesn't make sense, you'd be like, mm, there's this misalignment here. So my content buckets are affording travel, affordable travel destinations, saving, paying off debt, 
building wealth. And the new one for this year is like earning more money. So whenever I'm coming up with episode ideas or pitching a guest or having someone pitch me, it has to fall into one of these four places. If it doesn't fall nicely into one of those four places, it's not going to be for me. So I think these are things that are really important to think of. And then we can think about all the other things like your podcast name, your podcast description. Another thing that people are asking all the time is, should I have a name that's like super clear or a name that's like vague? I personally, the thought card, you're like, I don't know what the thought card is. I have to go into explanation and tell you what it is. And I purposely did that way for my brand when I first started six years ago, because I wanted to be fluid. I didn't want to be just like pigeonholed into just travel. If when I'm 35 and 40, I may be thinking about other things, right? So I wanted a brand name that was fluid and the thought card felt right. So I don't think you necessarily have to find a name that explicitly says what your show is about. What you do need is a strong supportive tagline and to be very deeply rooted in your mission. So when you talk about your show, like our elevator pitch, like being Christine is very clear what it is, even though the name may be vague or not really sure. So those are some of the things I would think about. Also, let's say you see a name that you really like, but it's already taken just give it a rest and don't even try to fight with them for it because it's just going to hurt your brand. It's going to be very confusing. So you want to pick a name that's unique and there are over a million podcasts right now and it's growing every single day and it's getting more competitive and that's fine. And it's more difficult, but really come up with something unique or just your name. Danielle does your show. (laughs) That could be something that's something that people do as well. So I'll take a pause there. And if there's anything else I missed. No, I think that's a good, like a great starting point. I think a lot of people, and I'm going to include myself, everyone, I get caught up in things that don't matter (laughs) when you launch a podcast, like cover art. I say this all the time and people make fun of me, but now I'm an award-winning podcaster. I don't care. When I was about to launch this podcast, one of the biggest things that prevented me that like almost stopped me from launching was cover art. So I'm in the middle of a pandemic. It's a weird pandemic. It's not like I'm from Atlanta. It wasn't like an Atlanta pandemic, okay, where I could do stuff. This was actually like police roaming the streets. I couldn't leave my house. And I was like, how am I going to come up with cover art? I don't know. I could go to Fiverr. I decided like I had a sunny part of my apartment at the time. I had some plants that felt like flourishing. They were doing really well. I was like, oh, I have a green thumb now. Okay. And I put, I held a plant in front of my face. It's like a picture. And I put some words over it. And my friends, when I asked them, I was like, what do you guys think? And they're like, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird. But guess what? Also, my friends aren't my target market and they don't listen to my podcast. They love me, but they don't listen to my podcast. I launched anyway. I will eventually, because every time I look at my podcast, I'm always like, girl, what? But guess what? <laughs> it's been splashed in, in, in newspapers now and across blogs, and it's an award-winning podcast. I think if you guys are, you know, take this to heart, listen to what Danielle's saying. You need to have a strong mission and vision. You really need to know what you're talking about or what you want to talk about. You really need to have those content pillars. You need to have something that's compelling not only just for your audience, but for you to sustain yourself. Because podcasts are having like some super fly podcast art is not going to sustain you or grow your listenership. 
And so I'm going to ask you, Danielle, what are some of your favorite resources and tools for launching a podcast? What are some of those kinds of things? Yes. So I have a list of tools. These are the tools that I use exclusively for my podcast, like every week. So I have an ATR 2100X microphone. It's a hundred bucks. And before that, I'm not even going to mention the microphone I had before that because it was horrible. So you really want to invest in a dynamic cardioid microphone. And this is a good beginner base. You should know that over time, you will probably upgrade your microphones. So maybe after the first year, after the second year. So that's really something important. Like you can start off with something that's budget friendly and then invest more. But even the ones that are under $100, microphones under $100 are really good and really good sound quality. So don't be like, oh, it's not five figures or three figures, four figures. So let's not invest in that. No, start off where you can. And then you could always upgrade and move from there. I also have a boom arm. So it allows me to move my microphone here. You know, I can, I could, I don't want to make a bunch of noise, but I can really navigate and be like mobile here and be fluid. So that's really nice to have as well. I have this, I forget what it's called, but it's pretty much a foam that helps you to capture some of the popping noises that you have. A lot of people have this like circle object called a pop filter to also help with your explosive. These are usually like a couple dollars, like five to $10 additional accessories. But I think if you have this like spongy foam, which is like 99 cents, I think that is a good just beginner. So that's in terms of my mic setup. I have some Sony headphones, but again, in the beginning, I just had whatever. What's most important for the headphones is for them to be closed back. So you're not just having like your AirPods. You really want them to take over your entire ear. And the reason why you want to have your microphone connected to your headphones is so you could hear your levels. You can hear yourself and make sure that there's no static. Like I can probably hear my husband making breakfast downstairs. And that's what you want to know. You want to know that what's happening and all the sounds that are getting picked up. So that's my microphone. Now, in terms of production wise, I use Audacity. And every podcaster's tech stack will look different. So this is my personal tech stack. What I think is important with Audacity, it's a recording and editing software. It's like a language. So you want to pick a software that you're going to be like, I'm committed to this. I'm going to get really good at this. And it's, and that's important. So it's like a soft commitment, but it's like a hard commitment for me. But there are other software you can use like Audacity. Audacity I have, you have, what is it again? Adobe Audition. You have Adobe Audition. You have Movie, iMac. I can't even remember what it is. Sorry, GarageBand. And on the, on the Mac devices, you have GarageBand. So there's, there's Descript. There's a bunch of them out there. Pick one. It doesn't matter. Pick one, learn it, and you're going to get really good at editing. And again, it's like a language. I use Zoom for recording interviews. If my host, my guest is like technophobe, if they're not, I'm going to be like, let's use Skype eCam recorder. That's like the original OG that a lot of podcasters use. And I still use it. It's practical. I paid one, I think one fee for life and I'm really happy with it. So I use Skype for most people, but if something is, if it's too difficult for them, I say, okay, fine, let's hop on a Zoom call. 
Canva is also a staple in what I use that's for creating graphics. I use Lipsyn for my podcast hosting. It's similar to Audacity where it's like you pick one and you can change, but it could be a little bit challenging and a little bit difficult to change. So just again, do your research to see what hosting platform you want. And if you're wondering what a hosting platform is, these audio files are really big and we don't want them sitting on our website servers. So we will pay for a podcast hosting provider that will store and distribute all of our episodes to podcast players like Apple, Spotify automatically. Podcast hosting platforms are also really fantastic for analytics. So you'll get to see where your audience is from, where they're tuning in from, what players, what kind of devices that they use things that podcast sponsors really are interested in. So I definitely feel like investing in a podcast hosting platform can be a really good advantage. We do have a promo code where you can get the first month free of Libsyn if you just type in WOC. So that is a promo code that we have. And then lastly, for creating audiograms, which are the video files that usually have an image and then you see the waves and the audio playing in the background. So it converts audio to video. I use headliner, but again, there are other ones out there as well. So those are the tools that I use on a regular basis for my show. Yeah. I think that is an extensive list. I think if you guys use that, you will not go wrong. I use a lot of the same things, but I want to talk about something that she just mentioned, which is when you are picking your resources, particularly your hosting services, thinking about your analytics, and how that's going to help you, especially if you want to dun, da, da, dun, turn your podcast into a business, which I put it out for you guys, a survey, and everyone checked yes on that. So let's talk about that, Danielle. How do you turn your podcast into a business? And because I think a lot of the, a lot of the members or the participants here don't have a podcast yet, how do you launch with that in mind? Yes. If I could start over, I would have definitely started out with thinking about monetization from the jump because I ended up creating lots of content, which is great, but no real pathway for financial success for me as a content creator. So I've learned a lot, especially over the last year, two years. What I would think about is what do you want your folks to do after listening to your episodes. Do you want them to purchase a product directly? Do you want them to join your newsletter where you warm them up and you educate them and you bring them in a little bit closer and then you offer your products or services? Or do you just want them to join your Facebook group or Facebook community? So I really think, think about the pathway. What do you want them to do after an episode and be open to understanding that just because you say something once on the show doesn't mean that they're going to take action. A, a couple of years ago, they said it takes someone like seven times of hearing something. And I think it's now 10 times and your podcast listeners will love you, but they can't even click on the five stars to leave you a rating and review because they're so busy. And that's just how it is, you know? So <laughs> Christy, do you want to jump in? <laughs> I was going to say that's 100% right. That's all I'm going to say about that. I we mean, talk about this all the time. We, we talk do. about this all the time. 
it's so important to think about monetization from the very, very beginning. I didn't think about it. I thought it was just a passion project or whatever, but it really nicely merged into my day job and all these other kinds of things. But I think it's, it's important to have at least something to test on the monetization level. So if it's gonna be a call to action for you're selling an hour of your time or you're an affiliate or what have you, I think that's important. At the very least, emails, capturing emails because people listen to your podcast and converting them to your email list and getting them to buy things is a different kinds of sales funnel. So you gotta think about it like that. I'll let you continue. I'm sorry. Sure. So one of the easiest ways for podcasters to make money is being an affiliate. So an affiliate is when you refer products and you get a commission off of each sale that you make. So these can be resources that you use already, maybe things that you mentioned in the episode, or it can be something that is maybe adjacent or to the side, or or maybe something that you just want to pop in the episode and use it as like a roll or pre-roll or mid-roll. So affiliates is a great way because it's passive. You create the episode once, you put the affiliate links in there. And because people are constantly listening to these episodes, you may make sales. So I knew actually my podcast was going to become profitable when I had joined a affiliate program where I was making close to $500 per each sale. And I was making money every month. And I was like, wow, I recorded this episode in 2018 and I'm still making money in 2020, 2021. So it's very powerful. I would recommend having a mix of affiliates that are smaller commissions like Amazon, which is like pennies. And also those large commissions that are hundred dollars or hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars as well, so that you have a balance of the two. So that's really important. I think that's something that you can think about early on. When other things you can think about also is digital products and courses and workshops. If you have a show or if you are a brand where you can teach folks something, then package it into an ebook, package it into a workshop, package it into a masterclass. These are things that you can take advantage of early, early on. Again, have a call to action in several episodes, not just one, because it may fall on deaf ears and you may get discouraged along the way. Another income stream that you can think about as well is crowdfunding through a Patreon account or buy me a coffee. Both of these are advantageous. I like Patreon because it's like a membership model and they have a lot of support for continuing recurring subscriptions. But if you want people to just pop in quick $5 and you don't necessarily want the membership aspect, buy me a coffee is another great resource because it's a very casual, they kind of pop it in there. So asking your audience, and I know Christine does this really well as well, you know, saying, Hey, support the show. So I was wondering, Daniel, can you speak to sponsorship? Because I love the fact that when we talk about monetization, you talk about everything except for sponsorship because people think the only way they can make money is by ads and that's not true. But I think you guys, now you guys are heads on some game. Talk about getting sponsorship because Danielle has been able to successfully do that and land like major deals, major partners. So I wonder if you could speak to that because that could be aspirational for you all. Yes. So sponsorships, 
are definitely, I would say, more work than the other things that we mentioned. And all those other things are still work. So I'm at the point in my journey where I'm really leaning into sponsorships because I've leveraged my audience and I've trained them to the point where it's like, take action on the things that I do. So getting sponsors is great, but also remember that with sponsorships, you have deliverables. This is like a client now. So that can change the content that you create. And also you are relying on your audience to take action and do things. So that is very important. Now to be fully transparent, in 2021, I was at the point where I like, I want to lean into sponsorships and I was doing the things that I've already done as a blogger and I was having some success, but not consistent success. So I invested in a podcast monetization coach who helped me to come up with a game plan for particularly the niche of podcasting. So that was really helpful. And it's important, at least for me, when I'm investing in a coach, I want that person to do exactly or have done exactly what I want to do. And this person had sponsorships. That is her bread and butter. And I wanted to learn from someone who was doing exactly that. So a coach was really helpful in just putting me up on how it works and the things that I should do. Now, what's really important when it comes to sponsorships, there are third-party applications like Podcorn and Podgo who are like these marketplaces that connect you to sponsors. And that's good and all dandy. However, you're going to get a cut of the whole pie. And those rates that you set are going to be kind of like fixed based off of what other people in the marketplaces are pricing them for. So I think things like Podcorn and Podgo are good to just get started and to get into the practice of working with sponsors, doing ads. However, for the most lucrative opportunities, it's about pitching yourself and building those relationships one-on-one with those sponsors. So go to those trade shows, go to those virtual events where those sponsors are going to be there and start to capture emails of those PR people and think about it as a relationship versus just you pay me and I pay you. A lot of the sponsors that I've gained at this point have been months in the making, has been multiple meetings and multiple conversations because a lot of people they like podcasts and they know that it's powerful tool. However, they may not be ready to invest or they need some convincing or they just have questions, especially in the travel space. It's, and I just posted about this on Instagram yesterday is that they're warming up to podcast, but it's like the frontier, the pioneering. So it's a lot of education, a lot of, you got to just put it, be ready to put in a lot of FaceTime to get the things that you do want out of it. So that's really important. Again, think of it as a relationship versus just trading dollars and just service exchange. The second thing that's really important when you are pitching sponsors, you got to have your numbers together. Again, which is why having a hosting platform that gives you the details like Ellipsin is important because they're going to ask you for a lot of things like your total downloads, your average podcast downloads. One thing that's important to think about for sponsorship is that it's not only about the podcast, truly it's about your entire brand, which takes into social, which takes into account your email list, which takes into account your reach beyond your audio, right? So when I pitch my podcast, I'm saying, hey, I also have a blog. 
who has his own website. Okay. Hey, I also have an email list and my social media platforms. So it's not just you get an ad. No, you get an ad and all this other cross promotion that goes on. So think of your brand as more than your podcast. Everything that you do is an asset and everything that you do to promote your show is chargeable too as well. So that's really important. Put together a media kit that spells out what your show's about, has all your numbers and start putting it out there. Start pitching folks and start asking if they would be interested in sponsorships. Be ready to hop on the phone. None of this, oh, I'm just going to do things via email. You got to be ready to hop on the phone and build those relationships, build those connections. I can sell you if I talk to you. I always make a sale at the end of a phone call. Email, eh, it's a little shaky. So whenever possible, I always try to ask for a phone call. And those are really the things that I would say. Also, as you start pitching more brands, they're going to start asking you questions. They're going to start asking you things that are not on your media kit. So take this as a learning opportunity and add those things in. So my media kit today is different from my media kit a year ago because I've learned so much and they ask me for things. I'm like, let me add that in. Let me add that in. Let me add that in. Oh my goodness. Everything that she says is true. I just want to add this. If you really want to monetize your podcast, you really do need to understand that this is an asset. You need to understand that you are developing intellectual property. You need to protect that property. You need to conduct yourself in that way, which means that, which means one, I don't want you to freak out and be like, I have to have everything perfect. It can't be janky. No, Danielle just said she is constantly iterating. That's the whole point is you're constantly iterating. You're not expecting to get it right the first time. You're not going to, but it is about having that like vision. And you only really develop that vision from when you first start out your intention. But then as you start doing it, you get confident and you get clearer about doing it and what you really want. But you have to understand this is an asset. You need to, you need to conduct yourself in that way. So you need to be mindful how you build your business. Your business needs to be built upon your own website, your own the things that you own. But I want to get to our questions because we have a lot of them. Okay, the first question is, how did you find your guests for your podcast? So Danielle? Yes, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I listen to podcasts in my niche and Whenever there's a guest that I'm like, ooh, that guest is so good. I got questions for them that weren't covered in their show. I have a a sheet in my notes on my phone where I just put people's names on them. So I have this wish list of guests that potentially could be of interest for my show. I also am really active on Twitter, which is a great connecting tool. So I call this social networking. So you just like posting and you just like chatting with people. You may stumble upon someone who is remarkable and you're like, hey, I want to have them on my show. Putting calls out, just, just blatantly saying, hey, on social, hey, I have spots for my upcoming season for my show, uh, looking for people that talk about X, Y, Z. That could also give you potential leads that you may vet. Now, the difference between you being you admiring someone versus someone coming and pitching you is the legwork. If I already admire someone and they're already on my list, I already know the vision of the episode and the kind of topics we're going to be talking about versus when you put a call out, you may just get a bunch of flooding of people and you'll have to vet them to see are they truly 
you know, who they say they are and can they stand up and have a good conversation with you for an hour or whatever length of your show. Also joining podcasting communities is super clutch. So you have communities like WC podcasters for women of color, but you also have other communities like she podcasts and that's a Facebook group. And they have a weekly thread called pitch yourself Tuesdays, where you can just go down the list and see what opportunities are open for pitching and even ask, put yourself in there and say, Hey, I'm looking for shows. So being part of these communities, you can just literally post and say, I'm looking for this or I'm looking for that. So that may be a good place to connect. A lot of the people I've had on my show, or I've been a guest on their show, were through Women of Color podcasters or other podcasting communities as well. So that's really cool. Lastly, I would say speaking and attending conferences is a great opportunity to connect with people and to see potentially who may be a good guest on your show. So overall, I gave you lots of ideas, but just always be on the lookout. Always be looking for potential people who could inspire you and inspire your audience. Are you thinking about starting a podcast? If so, I encourage you to join WOC Podcasters Community Membership. What is the WOC Podcasters Community Membership? WOC Podcasters connect women of color to a supportive and encouraging podcasting community. I'm not only a paid member of WOC Podcasters, but I'm also an affiliate. So please utilize my link when you sign up at no extra charge to you, but it does support this here podcast. You can find my link in the description of this episode and also on the Flourish in the Foreign website. Join the WOC Podcasters community membership today. The next question is, how did you develop your topics? How did you develop your topics, Danielle? So I already had an existing brand that was running for years. So it was super easy to expand off of that project. However, when it comes to the topics that I wanted, this goes back to the beginning of the conversation. We're talking about content pillars. Again, what are the things that you want to talk about And can you neatly fold them into a couple of buckets? So that's really important. I knew that I wanted to talk about travel and not budget travel. I want to talk about affordable travel, which is subjective. And I wanted to talk about the creative ways that people were traveling. So I'm not necessarily a travel show or like a budget travel show that just takes you around the world at every episode. No, we're talking very, you know, we're talking about the strategies. We're talking about more nuanced things. So it took some refinement. If you want to look at a podcaster's evolution, look at their first couple of episodes, look at their first season, and then look at their last season, their most recent season, because 2018, I was all over the place, but 2021, Danielle, it is like, I'm all about location independence. Like it's very specific. So I think it just takes time for you to develop even if you know what your topics are, you're going to start to lean into certain topics. For me, again, another thing that I think about is what am I interested in, right? In the beginning of my podcasting journey, I was just interviewing people who had a story to tell and who had interesting articles. And I'm like, oh, let me get them on the show. Now I'm like, I'm interested in what? 
And then I bring people who have expertise in what I'm interested in. And then it's an engaging conversation. I'm asking critical questions that I have for that person. And my audience are going to have the same questions as well, because we're in the same boat. We're trying to figure this out together. So I think if you're confident in what do you want to learn about, what do you want to grow into, who do you admire, get those people on your show because you're going to be in the same boat as your listeners. They're inquisitive, they're curious, they want to learn stuff and you're the same way. So it's hard. I guess it's like it's a hard question to answer, but lean into what you're interested in and let that guide your show and let that guide the kind of guests you look for. I love that. I think that's excellent advice. I think I've heard something recently about learning how to ride the wave and not the trend. And I think that's really important because the wave is like a frequency that you're on. This is kind of how you view life and things like that. And a trend is always going to die out. So for me, Flourish in the Foreign is a podcast that essentially talks about living abroad as a pathway to wellness, financial wellness, perhaps physical, emotional wellness, because it's something I've experienced. And so when I first launched, I was like, I wonder if other people have had this experience as well of finding clarity or ease of life or just cure from burnout. And so it's not necessarily about how to get abroad and get abroad with $50 in your pocket and a hobo bag and leave. It's not that show. It's not that show. It's more about learning how these women have evolved as people, because that's really interesting. And as I go into season two and I start pre-production for season two, just like Danielle said, I'm like, I'm actually really interested in this other topic that has, it is still in line with Flourish and Florian. Don't worry, everyone. But it's definitely more nuanced. It's not something that a lot of people are talking about, but I actually know that my audience is going to love it because I'm really passionate about it. And I think I have a pretty good ear to my audience. I do a lot of audience engagement and audience listening. And I'm really excited about it. But as Danielle says, it's something that is evolving always. And so I think you have to allow yourself to evolve and not be impatient. But that's the whole thing about actually getting started. When you get started, you get confident, you get clear. When you're consistent, you actually have the data to make decisions as well. The next question is, how do you get and grow your audience? Oh, this is a good one. Danielle, how do you get and grow your audience? Oh, we have a lot to talk about. Okay. I would say in the beginning of your podcasting journey, yes, lean into social media, lean into connecting with people on social media. Um, However, I would say pick one platform that's like your primary. So if it's Instagram and you're like, I want to grow my community on Instagram, do that. If it's, I want to be on Twitter, do that. So pick one. So you're not spread too thin. And instead of just posting, think about community building. So think about having people gather around you and your content on your profile versus you just posting for engagement and likes and comments and things like that. So I think social is good in the beginning. However, there are some downsides to social, like algorithm change and people not seeing your posts. Also, you not having ownership of your platform. 
And the lifespan of a post is very short and very small. And lastly, you can't really track the conversion. So does an Instagram post lead to a download? It's very hard to track that. They don't have the tools to do that. Even if you use tools like Bitly to track links in your profile, it doesn't necessarily mean that they went to download it. Did they, they went to your site maybe, but did they download the episode and become a subscriber? So it's just murky. I think social media honestly can be a waste of time if you're not using it for fun, (laughs) for fun for yourself, because again, all these things make it just a hurdle for podcasters. We also alluded to using audiograms. And in the beginning of my podcasting journey, I was on the audiogram bandwagon and it's time consuming to create these little videos based off of your audio and you can't track it. So my strategies have definitely shifted now. And to be honest, all of the major shows that I've been on that have millions of downloads, those podcast hosts didn't even hit me back with a link. (laughs) The episode when it's live, they didn't even create an imagery for me. There were no promo imagery for me to post on my social media platforms. And you know why? Because they're too busy making money and too busy thinking about the next episode and the next thing that they're working on. They weren't worried about promoting on social media. So I'm not saying you have to be anti-social, but I do see a trend as I become more established, I'm doing less and less promoting on social because the return is not necessarily there. So what do I do instead where the returns are better? So I definitely use my email list. So I make sure on my website, there are ways for them to join my mailing list. Every blog post I create has a mailing list capture form. And then what I do is a week or two after the episode goes live is when I share with them that episode. So you have your diehard subscribers who listen to the episode when it comes out. Day one. Day two, it falls off a little bit. By week one, they're already on to the next thing. They're waiting for your next episode to drop, right? Or maybe they're going back into the archives. So this is a good chance to reach out to your email list and say, hey, folks, did you know that I have this new episode that's out and you can promote it? So that gives you another wave of potential people who may be listening, who may not have heard, but may listen to your episode. So that is like one of the strategies that I do. Nurturing my email list. That's really important. Another strategy that's inovert. It's not, this is something that I'm intentionally doing, but but really making sure that my website, my podcast website is a destination. So it's not just a website. It is literally my home on the internet. It is where all things, the thought card world live. And I put a lot of time and resources to making my site user-friendly, beautiful, and just a warm and inviting place where people can find me. So instead of relying on social, I'm relying more on SEO, which is search engine optimization. When people type in, how do I find remote jobs? I want my podcast episode to be one of the top things that they see on their search engines. So that is passive. That's organic. People searching things on 
Google and finding me this way versus me having to constantly push out and promote and talk about my podcast, which is exhausting and tiring. So really leaning into learning SEO. I'm not an SEO expert, but I learn every day. I learn something new, making my website a destination, capturing emails, promoting them a week or two after is very important. And those are some of the strategies that I have used to grow. My last advice, and you could do this at any point. You don't have to even have a podcast right now to do this, but guest appearances on your, another podcast in your niche are so important. That collaboration, that cross-pollination, getting in front of people who may want to listen to your show is like a one. I organized years ago, I organized podcast tours where kind of like a book tour where you would go on 10 different podcasts over a couple of months. And that really gave me a pop. I was like popping up everywhere for like months to come. And that helped every episode you're on as a guest, people will come and follow you and come and follow you. So these are more long-term things that take a little bit of time to do and develop, but the results are way stronger than just a post on social. Going back to what she just said about SEO, um, Danielle actually has an amazing resource on show notes and titles for your episodes. And that's really important. That's discoverability. If you really want to grow your podcast and you want to increase your listenership, like she says, you're building an archive. You're building these assets. Are you just going to allow them to just lay there and they're not going to be promoted. No, you're going to let them get promoted and you're going to let people find them on their own time by creating amazing SEO optimized content that supports it and showcases it because you do a lot of work (laughs) when you produce this episode. So you want people to discover it, listen to it, and also, you know, be better for it. The way to do that is titles of your episodes, but it's important to try to be as strategic as possible. And also, again, making sure that your show notes are search engine optimized. Okay. Again, going back to when we're talking about making podcasting a business, meaning like you, this is an asset. Your website is an asset. Your P that's an asset. And so it's important for you to maintain the value of the asset and to actually cultivate it so that the value increases as much possible. And of course, get your backlinks in by being on other people's podcasts. It works well for SEO, but also when you're on the episode itself. Super, super important. This is the kind of stuff that you guys would learn on WOC Podcasters, but we don't have that much time to talk about all this stuff. So I'm going to try to get a couple more questions and then wrap it up. Let's talk about, uh, do you build, do you have like a questionnaire for your guests, Danielle? Do you have a questionnaire? Do you create a questionnaire for them? So I haven't done that. It's definitely a good strategy where it's more, you know, you have everything automated and you just receive. I don't, I say I don't because I don't necessarily care for that. I want to, like I said, I want to find people who I'm inspired by. And I prefer to like look out for my folks who are going to be a guest on my show versus receiving pitches. That's my personal preference. But I think that, hey, if you want to have people on your show and you want it's more passive, create a form, create a form. It'll be easy. I have a form. I also have no lie, 50 people that I have to get back to in pre-production. And my workflow for my podcast is I talk to every single person 
before I consider recording with them, which is a lot of time. It's a lot of time. For me, it works well because I'm building my network. Even if I decide not to record with them, I, hopefully it's no hard feelings and I have a new blog so they can write for the blog if they want to, or if not, just whatever. But I like to do that as a touch point for just for networking and relationship building, because as Danielle said, there's some things that are going to probably be like short-term harvest and there's some things that are going to be long-term harvest. Also, as I said before, I'm a business strategist. I've actually gotten several of my clients from people I've collaborated with. I was like, I recorded with and I wasn't pitching them. I just was, we had conversations, we recorded, we kept in touch and they hired me. So I think it's important for you to just think about that. If you want to do a questionnaire, okay. Just think about the questions that you want to know. And I guess maybe some of the criteria you have for your episode, for your podcast. One last question, then we're going to talk a little bit more about WOC podcasters, because that's what all the other questions are about. They're about incubators, coaching groups, and all the other stuff. So the question is, or I guess it's a two-parter, is it true that it takes weeks before podcast episodes are published? <laughs> and is editing challenging? So is it true, Danielle, that it takes weeks? Now we're not recording the day of and just publishing it. Okay. It depends on your production workflow, how you get things out, right? Example, true example, literally on Thursday, I realized I had a podcast that was due for a sponsor and I kind of wanted to do like a storytelling thing. So I literally scripted, recorded and edited in the same day. And then I published it at 11.30 PM at night and it was up on a Libsyn at midnight. <laughs> So is that ideal? Definitely not. We don't want to do that. Is it possible? Absolutely. You can do it. However, what I prefer to do, and I think Christine also mentioned this, is batch record where I actually have a couple weeks scheduled in a month where I'm recording all of my interviews or all of my solo episodes. And I have them sitting in a folder somewhere on my computer and I have an editor now. So what I do is I just drip them out to my editor and within, you know, slight instructions of what I want them to do. And we have a production flow. That's how I do it. When I was doing it myself, editing myself, similar thing. All my recordings were on my computer. And then week by week, I would just edit things up, edit things as they go, but I would still be ahead of schedule. So I would not be like, putting editing things that are due that same week. No, I'm editing things that are due two months from now or three months from now so that I could be ahead of the game. You do not want to be so stressed out producing your episodes. So that's really important. One thing that if you are going to batch record, be mindful of your episodes if you're going to say dates. So I listened to a couple of episodes recently and I was like, yeah, I'm going to Disney in July and it's October. My listeners are like, mm, yeah, when did you record this? You record this in May. <laughs> My content is still really good, but I peep that, right? So now I'm like, okay, when I'm speaking, make it more evergreen where I'm not mentioning dates. And I'm also telling my guests, hey, this may be coming out months later. So let's not mention dates so that it's more relevant and it's evergreen. So the quick answer is it just depends on you. There are examples when you're going to be rushing and examples when you're way ahead of schedule. If you have a seasonal show, this is a good time to get ahead. Take a break because you deserve it 
and record and edit and do all the production stuff so that you could be ahead of the game so you're not stressed out for sure. I agree wholeheartedly. I learned the hard way when I started to pitch guests. I had a website and a trailer. I pitched a whole bunch of people because I didn't think anybody would say yes. Turns out a lot of people said yes. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm so, you know, I want to have some recordings under my belt. And then it ended up being, I had 10, 20, 30, 40, no lie, 50 recordings. And I was like, I was drowning in material. And it's great because I could produce it. But then also I recorded in the middle of a pandemic. So some of the questions that we were asking or some of the answers that I was receiving are not necessarily still hold true right now. I had people that were in Hong Kong and going through the pandemic, but also like the whole political issue over there. It's like a lot of things. So like Danielle says, be mindful of dates, (laughs) batch, Don't overwhelm yourself like me, or else it's like, I just have all this content. And that puts pressure on you because you're like, oh crap, I got to get it out. But yeah, I think be organized as possible and try to develop a workflow. You're not going to figure it out until you start doing it because I could tell you my workflow, but that's not necessarily going to work for you. So yes, but it is normal that you record for some weeks and then you put it out. And I think that is the last question. Right now, I really want to talk about WOC podcasters, what it is and how it can help you launch your podcast. I would say from my point of view, I had already launched my podcast when I joined the membership and why I joined it is like I told you before, I'd been following Danielle and I was like, everything she's doing is so smart. (laughs) I was like, I need to get like her. I need to figure this out because again, I didn't know anything about podcasting. I was winging it. And at some point that gets really tiring when you're just, I don't know what's going on. And it was helpful for me to be in community with other people. To start seeing the podcast in a different light, to have different like vision and mission for it, but also to see and hear what everyone else was doing. Being in community was just really important to be inspired, to help and feel like I could be helpful. and be like, oh, people want to hear my advice. And then I think it's helped me a lot with my SEO, my website strategy, and really about positioning yourself in a market and being confident in that. So that is my experience with WOC Podcasters. But I will let Danielle tell you all about WOC Podcasters. So uh, Women of Color Podcasters Insiders Membership is really a about providing a robust resource where you can grow throughout your podcasting journey. So we actually have three separate tracks because we know that there are some people who just want to have access to all the things versus some people who need maybe curated. What do I need to know as a beginner versus something like, what do I need to know as an advanced podcaster? So what we've done is we created three individual tracks to provide you with all the resources relevant to you and where you are in your podcasting journey. So that's really important. We have a huge archive of established video replays, resources, and PDFs. So you can go in and deep dive on your own time. And then every month we also offer live classes with a guest expert. And we also do Instagram and website audits as well, which means that you can join a small group 
call and get your website looked at or your Instagram profile looked at to provide that one-on-one touch point. That's really important. And also like Christine mentioned, we also have an accountability call, which you meet with your three different cohorts. So we actually have three different meetings and the one-on-one, we usually talk about beginner and launching, and we actually have maybe five or six folks I've been working with every month to get them to the point of launch. And they're almost ready to launch. It's like super exciting. 201 is more of building. So you're like launched already and you're trying to build your audience. And then 301, which I meet with Christine every month, we talk about monetization and money and growing. So there's something for everyone in the membership. And we really thrive on that high touch point, like meeting often and being able to talk through a lot of the issues that we encounter. And overall, I think that I feel more knowledgeable (laughs) as the person who founded this organization. I've grown so much because I'm learning constantly every single month. Podcasting isn't just the audio files you listen to. Like, you know, we talked about today, there's so many different things that go into it and you can learn a lot through trial and error, which is fine, but it's exhausting. It's a waste of resources. So joining in membership or using resources that are already put together out there is a great way to speed up the process and for you to learn a lot along the way. Yeah, that's about the membership. I'll also say that whenever we have an, like there's also a community. So people drop questions all the time, which is really cool because we can all utilize each other's kind of brain power. But also when there's something new that's happening in the podcasting sphere, like we always talk about it. So when Apple started doing their subscriber membership, like we talk about it, which I think is helpful because the podcasting space is still a little bit of the wild, wild west, but it's, as everyone is probably aware of, it is quickly being gobbled up by different corporate entities. They're trying to get their hands on it. Facebook. Everybody's trying to figure out how they're going to make it work. And as an indie podcaster, it's important that you have that kind of support to navigate those kind of decisions. Because as I said before, this is an asset and you are building an asset and you're leveraging. So depending on what your mission and vision is, maybe you want to sell your podcast or your website or something like that, which I actually talked to a fellow WOC podcaster member and a new friend of mine. And we talked about that and that was her whole aim in her new podcast that she launched. And I was like, yeah, that's actually going to work. And that's going to be very lucrative. (laughs) I was like, that's a good idea. Or if you want it just to be a sales funnel to your business, or if you want to utilize it to develop your thought leadership so that you get paid speaking gigs or you have a book or something, This is something that you don't want to do like alone or just with like random people on the internet. You want to do with people who you can see are also doing it and who are doing things that you also want to do. And so I think there's so many great free resources, but I'm a huge advocate for investing in yourself because if you invest in yourself, you will get there much faster. I know some people think, no, I can do it DIY, DIY. Look, I'm the queen of DIY and resources. I don't think anybody can out-resource me, actually. Let me just say that, because like, <laughs> I be doing it. I be YouTubing, boom, I figured it out. But what I realized is that if you really want to be sustainable, really in anything, but especially in podcasting, you need community because you need other collaborators. You need people to talk about your podcast when you're not in the room, to throw opportunities your way, to tag you on stuff. Like, you need 
community. I think that's how I even learned about the awards that I am nominated and I won. Okay. <laughs> because you don't have time to be doing all things podcasting, searching all these things. Like you don't got time. You got life, you got a job, you got things to do. So I just think it's been really helpful for me. And I enjoy it. I enjoy our monthly meetings and I love looking at the community. And of course, Danielle, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule um, for joining us. I actually have an episode about how I developed my podcast. And I actually have some really cool different voices on the episode. So y'all just got that kind of tidbit in. But anyway, thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing your wisdom. I appreciate you. Danielle, do you have any last words you want to share with everyone? Yes. Just connect with me on Instagram. I'm at the Danielle Desir on Instagram. Let's keep in touch. And I look forward to our next collaboration, Christine. I'm sure other things will be coming up. Yes. And check out WOC Podcasters on Instagram and the website. If having your own business has been part of your vision of a life well lived for quite some time and you haven't been able to really make it happen or perhaps you aren't as profitable as you'd like or perhaps you're not sustainable like you would like, like you would need to be to live abroad, then I invite you to join my Build a Business Abroad group coaching program. You can learn all about me as a brat. You can learn more about me as a business strategist and more about the program at my professional website, christinejobe.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-J-O-B.com. And of course, there'll be links to all of this information in the description of this episode. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Build a Business Abroad mini season. I want you to one. Take it all in. Take a deep breath. You got this. Two, I want you to journal how you feel, initial reactions, initial ideas that you have. And I want you to know that with consistency, where you will find yourself in one year, let alone six months or even a month from now, is going to rock your world. Thanks to Zach Higgs for producing the music of this podcast. It's time for you to believe in yourself. And it's time for you to bet on yourself. You are more than capable and you are so ready for the next step. I'll see you next time. Bye.